Oh, come on. Good morning, everyone. All right. Did you guys get some good sleep last night? Come on. All right, better question. Have you all had your coffee? All right. All right. Good times. Um, Because nothing's worse than getting up here and looking out and seeing everybody sleeping. All right. So glad you all had your coffee this morning. Um, Hey, last night I left you with a little question of, is there anything in your life that you need saving from? And hopefully you guys had a a couple moments to maybe think about that or talk about that in your small group. Um, But the reality is, whoa, hold on a minute. (laughs) The reality is I need a new Bible. Um, We don't need that page anyways. (laughs) I'm sure it doesn't say anything that important. No, it's all right. Um, okay, hold on a minute. Now I've lost my train of thought. Maybe I do need that page. Hold on. Okay. Um, the reality is we live in an imperfect world, and all of us have needs in our lives. Um, those needs range from all sorts of different things, what are the, whether it's the need to um, feel significant, our need to be loved, our need to fit in, Or maybe even just our need to feel beautiful. We all have needs, and this world offers us all sorts of different things to fill those needs in our lives, right? And you know what? The reality is if we kind of indulge ourselves in what the world is offering to fill our needs, we'll be satisfied, and we'll be a little, might be a little bit happy too, but only for a little while. And then eventually those things wear out, and we find ourselves right back in the same place of having longings and needs and feeling empty. Um... Jesus knows each and every one of us. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we struggle with. He knows what we need saving from before we even ask him. He knows all the needs that we have in our lives, and he wants so desperately to give us more, more than we have in our current situation. He has big dreams and plans for us that go beyond our imagination, and he's just kind of waiting for us to say, okay, I want what you got. Because he knows that we all have needs, no matter if they're great or small. And and that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. A story from the Bible about a woman who has great need in her life. And she has been spinning her wheels, kind of latching on to what the world has been offering her to fill the void in her life. And Jesus comes in and says, you know what? I love you too much to allow you to continue to be empty. I want to give you more in your life. So we're going to dive in this morning. I kind of feel like no one can say it better than God through his word. So I'm pretty much just going to read the Bible this morning and and let God speak to you through it. If you want to follow along with me, that's totally fine. I'm going to read out of John chapter 4. If you don't, um, that's okay. I'm reading out of the NIV, so sometimes if you have a different version, it's kind of annoying to be like, wait, that's not what my Bible says. So, you know, if you want John chapter 4, I'm starting in verse 1. So here we go. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus baptizing, but it was his disciples. Now, when the Lord learned of this, he went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey... He sat down by the well, and it was the sixth hour. In other words, it was 
probably, you know, evening time, about 6 o'clock in the evening, sun was going down. He was tired, sat down by the well to take a rest. When a Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in the town to buy food. That's actually a verse in the Bible. I, I find that funny. We're talking about something different in parentheses. Verse 8. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Well, they could have just said Jesus was alone at the well, but instead I kind of pictured the disciples running off to 7-Eleven to grab like a Slurpee and a Hostess fruit pie. But anyway, um, probably not. But anyways, okay, so Jesus, Jesus uh, sat down at the well by himself. Disciples weren't there. And he said to the Samaritan woman, Will you give me a drink? Well, the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. (laughs) How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews did not associate at all with Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and this well is really deep. In other words, you didn't bring a bucket. How are you going to get water out of this well? How are you going to give me something to drink? Where are you going to get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and is also his sons and his flocks and his herds drank from it? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him Whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to come and draw water and that I won't get thirsty again. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say that you've had no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man that you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and they were surprised to see him talking with a woman. But nobody asked him, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and she told the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of their town and made their way toward him. Skipping down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, 
We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we've heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Before we kind of unpackage this chunk of scripture, I just want to say that this last verse, verse 42, that is my prayer for all of you guys this weekend. That you could say, we no longer believe just because of what we heard Rayanne say this weekend, or what we've heard Ryan share this year at the inn, or from what we've heard from our core group leader and what God has done in their life. We believe now because Jesus has spoken to me. He's made it personal. He's talked to me. I don't just believe because of what I heard someone else say. God has talked to me, and now I believe because of what he said to me. That's my prayer for all of you guys, um, not only in this weekend, but in this year of your life, as you guys journey in faith and go to the inn, get in a core group, whatever it might be, that Jesus would become so personal to you that you could stay with confidence, I believe, because he has spoken to me. I've heard it myself. So before we get started in this, let me pray. And I got a crazy question. Is there more light up here at all? I feel like I can't really read. I'm kind of getting older. I don't know if there's... That's their light. I don't know. Oh, okay. That's all right. Okay. Let me pray for us. Father God, in this world that we live in, we have lots of need. And like the woman at the well, Lord, we come. We come to get filled for our basic needs. But God will turn around and we'll be thirsty once again. I thank you that you offer us so much more. And God, I pray that in this day, you would meet us at our place of need and that you would fulfill us. I pray, God, right now that you would open up our hearts to hear you, open up our eyes to see you. And, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, oh, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this passage of Scripture. Um, I think it's really interesting for many reasons. But first of all, I love the fact that when Jesus approaches this woman and asks her for a drink, he already knows everything about her, right? It's not like he's discovering more and more about her as he has a conversation with her at the well, but he already knows about her past. He knows everything about her up front. And when he approaches her, he already knows her full well. And it kind of reminds me of, um, I mean, that can be a little uncomfortable, right? And it kind of reminds me of, like, getting approached by people on the Ave. You know, like some of like the homeless kids or something, you know, and it's a little uncomfortable and you're kind of walking and you're thinking like, okay, that could get a little uncomfortable. That could be a little bit odd. I'm just going to keep walking and not engage in these people that are approaching us, right? Or that guy, I remember um, at the unsafe way, you know, the safe way, the unsafe way down there. Wasn't there like a guy out there who'd be like, good times or real change, real change. Is he still there? <laughs> okay, Dude, I love that guy. It was good times, right? He was good times. He is good times. Um, but you know, like sometimes these people are approaching us in life and it's, it can be a little uncomfortable and we're kind of like, ah, although I love that guy. He always made me smile. Um, but I think sometimes as God is approaching us in our life, it's kind of like, ah, that could get a little uncomfortable. I'm just going to keep walking and I'm not going to acknowledge it, you know, because he knows everything about me. He knows what's going on. I don't want to get into it. I'm just going to keep walking. But the reality is that God approaches us because he loves us. Yeah, he does know everything about you. He knows all that's going on in your life and all that's not going on in your life. And he's not shaken by that. He wasn't shaken by this woman in her past. In fact, he kind of, in a sense, says, so you're thirsty. 
and you're coming to this well day in and day out, how's it working for you? How's it working for you? Are you satisfied? You've got needs in your life, and you're kind of indulging in some things that the world's offering you. How's it working for you? Are you satisfied? And he kind of brings up some things that maybe get a little uncomfortable for her. But I love the fact that he uses this analogy of thirst, because it's something that we can all relate to, right? Basic human need, food and water. Maybe air. Air is kind of good, too. But food and water, right? And so when he talks about everyone who drinks of this water from this well will be thirsty again, but the water I give you, if you drink it, you will never thirst again. Thirst, it's something that we can all relate to. It's not like you say, oh my gosh, when I was six years old, I was so thirsty. Went to 7-Eleven, had a big gulp. 30 years later, I'm good, you know? It's all right. That would be a good ad for 7-Eleven, Beck. You should tell your folks, right? Um, But you know, it's one of those things where day in and day out, no matter how much you drink, you're still going to be thirsty again tomorrow. You cannot survive without water. And Jesus uses this analogy that we can all totally relate to about thirst. And he says to us, I want to instill in you a resource that is constant so that you won't thirst again. These things that you're longing for in life, I will put something within you that will fill you and satisfy you for the rest of your life if you'll receive it. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God's talking to the Israelites. and, um, And he says this. He says, my people... Israel, you have committed two sins. You have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and you have dug your own cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. God is saying to these people, he's saying, you know what? I am the living water. I am offering you all of me so that you will be satisfied in your life. But you know what? You have forsaken me. You've said, I don't want what you're offering. I want to go try to find it on my own. All right, these longings I have for my life to feel significant, to feel important, six figures, a good title, I think that'll do it. I'm going for it, you know? Whatever it might be that we think is going to satisfy and fill the longings that we have in our life, Jesus says it's like a broken cistern. In other words, it's like these big water containers that they used to make in the ancient world. And in fact, I was looking it up online and they still make them today. Um, But he's saying that these huge water containers that you make yourself try to collect the rainwater to fulfill your need in life, there's cracks in them. It can't even hold water. That's the problem. You have forsaken me. You've rejected what I'm giving you to try to dig your own cisterns and water. But you know what? You will be thirsty time and time again unless you allow me to fill you completely. Jesus doesn't just offer regular water, but he offers this living water. I think that's really interesting to think about for a minute. Living water. If any of you guys do any camping or stuff like that, you know that when you're out in the wilderness or you're out hiking and stuff, and you're totally thirsty and you've got nothing to drink, if you find a little pond of stagnant water that's just still, that's not what you want to drink. You want to find a stream or something that's moving where the water is active Because then it's not stagnant collecting, like, disease and funk, right? You want something that's going to be good for you. And Jesus doesn't just give us some water, but he says, I'm giving you living water. It is constant. It is active. It is moving. It is rushing. That's what I want to give you. It makes me think of, um, I had an opportunity 
in college to go river rafting down the Colorado River for seven days with my dad. And that was a total trip. And that water, I mean, it's you're going pretty fast. You're going over some gnarly rapids, waterfalls, and whatnot. It's pretty cool. And then at the end of the day, we would pull over on like a little beach on the side of the river and pitch tents and stuff and camp for the night. And I remember thinking, you know, the sun's going down. It's getting quiet. It's getting dark. And surely that river must kind of calm down a little bit at night, right, and get a little bit quiet. But that's so silly. That water doesn't stop. It doesn't care if it's day or night. It's like saying that the ocean waves calm down at night because the sun's going down and it's quiet. It doesn't. It keeps going. And that's kind of like what God is talking about. He's saying, I will be within you this spring of well, a spring of living water that wells up to eternal life. It is constant. It is rushing. No matter what season of life you're in, if it gets a little bit darker in your life, if your faith grows a little bit dim, it doesn't matter. That water is still active and moving and rushing within you. Well, I love how um, the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, have to keep coming here to draw water. It's like something he says kind of perks up her interest. And I can almost sense her excitement and her desperation. Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty again and I won't have to keep coming here and drawing water out of this well. It's a lot of work. I mean, this well was probably well over 75 feet deep, right? Pulling this whole thing out, pulling water back up. It's a lot of work. And remember, we said in here that it was the sixth hour. The sun had been going down. This woman came to draw water from this well when it wasn't a busy time at the well. There weren't a lot of people around at that time of the night because sun was going down. People were probably at home fixing supper. Remember, the disciples were hungry. They took off to go grab something to eat. People aren't coming to the well right now. And most likely, this woman came at this time of day because she didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to deal with kind of the glares of people looking at her from town, kind of the whispers, because they knew who she was. Just like Jesus knew who she was, she was kind of known in this town with not a very good reputation. And so for this offer, hey, I can give you something so you never have to come back here again and face humiliation. You never have to come back here and do all this work. She's like, give it to me. But not only literal thirst, I wonder too if this woman is also saying, this guy knows everything about me. He's offering me something. The fact that he's even talking to me, I I can't believe it. What does he have? I want what he's got. Give it to me. She's desperate, asking, asking for more. And this is where I think it gets good. Verse 16, he tells her, Well, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replies. You're right when you say you've had no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. I don't know about you guys if you've ever read this story before, but when I hear that little part, I always wonder, like, why is Jesus saying that to her? It kind of sounds like he's sticking it to her, you know, like, oh, yeah, you want what I got? All right, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have one. Yeah, that's right, you don't. You've had five husbands, all right? And the guy you're with right now, the guy you're sleeping with, he's not your husband, you whore. (laughs) Well, maybe that's a little extreme. (laughs) But I think the reality is, is I kind of read that and I wonder, like, why is he saying that? It's a little bit inappropriate. It's a little bit uncomfortable. And really, it's kind of like I look at Jesus and I'm like, why'd you have to bring that up? We were doing all right here. You were being a good guy, right? Talking to the woman at the well, she's a Samaritan. You don't normally associate with those people. 
And it's kind of like he's sticking it to her. And we can kind of read that as a God who goes, yeah, I know what you've done. But that's not his tone at all. That's not Jesus' tone at all when he's talking to this woman. Um, Last October, I started taking a parenting class (laughs) because I need help. And... um, and one thing that we've been learning in this class, it's actually been so much more than just about parenting. It's much more about who I am and trying to be a good example to my kids. But one thing that our teacher's been talking to us about is that you never discipline your kids out of anger. And trust me, when you've got two three-and-a-half-year-olds going at it, it's hard not to get angry and just lash out at them, right? But she says discipline, biblical discipline, is a loving rescue for a sinful heart. It's a loving rescue for a sinful heart. We should have such intense love and compassion upon our kids that when we see them disobeying us or hitting each other, instead of getting mad at them and saying, you will do what I say, instead of that, we love them so much that we're like, oh my gosh, I love you too much to allow you to disobey me. Because when you disobey me, you go into a dangerous place. You're outside of my covering and my protection when you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. When you're hitting your sister or you're hitting your brother, that's a dangerous place to be, to be violent. And I love you too much to allow you to live that way. So I want to bring you back to a place where I can protect you and keep you safe. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've never thought of disciplining my kids that way. But when I learned that, it totally changed the way I read this passage. Jesus isn't saying to this woman, okay, you're disobedient. You're living a life of lies. You are the town tramp. You're sleeping around. I've had about enough of this. But instead, his tone is of a loving father who sees his daughter doing something that is so destructive in her life that it breaks his heart. And out of a loving rescue, Jesus says to her, you know, you're right. When you say that you've had no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you're with right now, he's not your husband either. What you've said is right. And I love you too much to allow you to continue to fill the void in your life with men that are going to hurt you time and time again, because when they hurt you, it hurts me too. I love you so much that I don't want you to fill your void for love, to feel accepted, to feel like you're important, like you matter to someone, to fill that void with relationships in this world because you're going to get hurt time and again. I want to rescue you out of that place and give you something that will fill that void forever, and that is me. Jesus has a loving rescue for this woman, he's not sticking it to her at all. His tone is one of compassion. And really, he exposes her past because he knows that it's a roadblock in her life from her receiving this living water that he's offering her. He's offering her something. And really, she doesn't have room in her life to put in that living water because she's already crammed her void with men and with relationships. And so Jesus says, I'm going to expose that so we can get rid of it, open up that void again, if you will, so that I can fill it with something eternal. God does that in our lives a lot. You might be in this room this morning, and you know Jesus, and you're walking with him, and that is awesome. But there might be some voids in your life that you've already filled with other things, 
And Jesus says, you know what? I love you too much to allow you to have that cheap imitation filling you up. I want to fill you up with me. So let's expose those things and let's get them out of your life so that I can come in with my living water and satisfy you. About two and a half years ago, um, my husband and I bought, a, bought a, a different house than the one we were living in. And it was built in the 60s. It was this old kind of crusty house. And we wanted to go through and completely gut out the house. And so we did. And we ripped out every floor, window, wall, whatnot. Just totally gutted this thing and made it all new inside. But when we were done, we didn't really have much money left over to redo the outside. So on the outside, the house looked like it needed a lot of love. My husband always felt like we were the eyesore of the neighborhood. Um, but inside it, you know, people, you walk up to your house like, hey, how, how are you guys doing? They walk in like, oh, this is pretty nice in here, you know? Um, but anyways, my husband often said that when he drove, drove home from work, it was kind of pathetic to pull into our driveway because the house just looked so bad on the outside. Well, I had planted some pretty big pots of flowers in the backyard, and there was this one in particular, probably about this big around, that had red geraniums growing in the middle and these white trailing flowers around the edges, right? So one day I said to my husband, I got a great idea. Why don't we move that pot to the front yard? So maybe at least there'll be something pretty in the front, right? One thing that's nice. He's like, all right. So he hauls this pot out, and um, I had him put it right in the corner of like where you walk into the front door um, because that's, there's grass on either side. And I'm like, if you put it enough in the corner, I bet the sprinklers from the grass will water the plant, and then I won't have to, right? So we shoved it in the corner, and you know it was pretty. And I didn't realize the fact that when I come home, I drive straight into the garage, and I never even walk up the front walk. So sometimes I'd be pulling into the garage, and I'd look over and be like, oh, that plant, I've got to get out there and water that thing. Ah, okay. Weeks would pass. I would constantly forget to water this plant. Yet it had some pretty red flowers on it and white flowers. You know, it was doing all right. So one day I go out there with the hose, and I kind of, in my lazy way of gardening, I kind of like nudge it with my heel or with my knee, you know, and the pot, just huge pot, just moves without, without effort. I'm like, oh my gosh, and I pick it up, it's dry as a bone, it weighs like nothing. Oh shoot, so I go and I start watering this thing, right? And I'm holding the hose, I'm holding the hose for probably like 10 minutes until I see water running out the bottom of it, right? And I'm like, all right, this thing's gotta be totally saturated now. And I kind of nudge it with my knee, and it still just totally moves. I thought, how could that be? I've just been standing here for about 10 minutes with the hose. How can this thing, you know, not be heavy as anything? So I stand there again and do it. Water's running out the bottom. I figure, all right, that's good enough. So take off. Same thing. Couple weeks go by. I'm not watering this thing because I'm forgetting about it. And I do it again. Go out to the front yard, start to water it. It's light as a feather. I just don't get it. So finally, I kind of bend down and I'm looking in this pot like, how are you not absorbing this water? And I noticed that this, there was about an inch gap around the edge of the pot and the dirt. And because I hadn't watered it for so long, it had like shrunken in and kind of like just become this hard dirt clod. So that when I was watering it, it wasn't even penetrating any of the soil. It was just running down the sides. And all of a sudden it hit me in my front yard as I'm watering this pot. I'm like, that's my life. We've been going to church, we're in a small group, telling our kids about Jesus, but time and again, we're like, why do we still just feel kind of empty? Why do we feel like that water isn't penetrating us? It's just running out the sides. And I kind of took the end of the hose nozzle and I kind of rubbed the top of the, the dirt, and just below the surface, it was totally dry, even though I had been standing there watering it. And I'm like, this is my life, just below the surface, I'm totally dry. 
So I took that hose nozzle and I started digging huge holes in this thing, right? And then I watered it. And once I like dug up all the dirt clods, the water could get down in it and actually penetrate it to the point that it was totally thriving. And I thought, you know what? That is so my life right now. And God is saying, I love you too much to allow you to continue on the way you are in your life. I'm going to start digging up some stuff in your life that you didn't even know was a problem, that you didn't even realize was hindering you from receiving all that I have to give you. But I'm going to start digging it up, and it's going to get a little bit painful, and it's going to get a little bit uncomfortable, but it's because I love you. And I want to expose those hindrances in your life so that my living water can completely saturate you and give you something more than you've got right now. And that's why Jesus says to this woman, I know what you've done. I know about your past. I'm not bringing it up to hurt you. I'm bringing it up because I love you. It's not just enough to receive the living water that Jesus offers But we've got to be penetrated by it. For the woman, it was her past that needed to be eradicated, if you will, that needed to be eliminated as a roadblock and a hindrance. What are the roadblocks in your life? Is there anything in your life that's getting in the way from that living water to be rushing through you, to be filling you and satisfying you in every way? Are there any dirt clods in your life, if you will? We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight because I know you guys just did a, a series at the end on doubt. That can be a huge hindrance. That can be a huge roadblock from receiving the living water of Jesus. Or your fear or your addictions or whatever it might be. There's lots of things that get in the way. And God knows each and every one of you. He knows what your roadblocks are. He knows what the hindrances are in your life. And it's not because he's up there Making a list, checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice. No, it's because he loves you so much that he pays attention to the details of your life. And he wants so much more for you. He wants so much more for you. Do you want what he's offering? That's kind of the question. He says, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would have said, give me a drink. And I would have given you something that would have satisfied your thirst forever. I would plant within you a stream of living water that's welling up to eternal life. And that, that living water is Jesus within us. His constant grace, compassion, forgiveness, direction. That's who he is. Well, I love in verse 25, um, after Jesus says this to this woman, and she kind of said, you know, after he says to her, you know, go get your husband, that whole thing. And she says, okay, I can see that you're a prophet, right? And our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes to this whole thing of like, trust me, you know, you're not going to worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain. And he kind of goes to this whole thing of worshiper spirit and truth. It's a little bit confusing. And I love in verse 25 that the woman says, I know the Messiah called the Christ. He's coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain that all to us. It kind of first tells me that that she's an educated woman. She knows the Old Testament. She's heard about the Messiah and the coming Christ. But also it sounds a little bit like a cop-out to me. Because she's kind of like, all the stuff you're telling me right now, you just kind of cross the line. You're going into stuff I don't understand. You know what? I'm going to figure it out later. The Messiah's coming later. I'll I'll deal with it then. I'll make a decision then what I'm going to do. 
And I love how Jesus says, but I who speak to you, I am he. It's go time. The time is now. The Messiah is here. And you need to make a choice today. This world is offering us all sorts of different things to satisfy the longings and the needs that we have in our life. But Jesus is offering us something so much more, a living water that is constant, that's not going to leave us longing and looking for more all the time. And the question is, do you want what he's offering? Are you willing to get a little bit dirty to have him dig up some stuff in your life that maybe you've shoved down for a while and kind of put off because you don't want to deal with it. It's super uncomfortable. And he says, you know what? I love you too much to allow you to live in those little things, to be confined by the smaller, insignificant things that's a cheap imitation to the life that I want to offer you. Are you willing to dig up that stuff so that I can fill you in every aspect of your life? Let me pray for us. Jesus, living water, I thank you so much that you offer us in our lives something, yourself, that will fill every need that we have, our need to feel loved, our need to feel important, our need to fit in, our need to feel significant. God, you know us so well. I pray, God, that you protect us from the lies of this world that would try to fill those voids with a cheap imitation. And instead, God, open us up. I pray, God, that you would shine your light on each and every one of us and expose the things in our life that's hindering us from receiving your living water and allowing it to penetrate every part of our life, to be complete in you, lacking in nothing. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us too much to allow us to live a small life, but you have huge dreams for us to take us beyond our imagination. We thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.